All right, let's pray. Lord, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And this morning, we want to praise you. We want to rest on you, Lord. We, we want to admit that we are not strong in our own strength, that we are weak and helpless without you. Lord, mm-hmm. we need you to fight our battles. We need you to go ahead like you did with Jehoshaphat. You, we need you to fight for us, Lord. We need you to fight the enemy, the devil. Mm-hmm. And Lord, we just lift up Trevor this morning as he's over there in uh, Shepherd's Fold. Be with him this morning. Fight mm-hmm. his battles, Lord, and help him to find you in this process. Lord, we pray for our brother Glenn as he stands here. I'm sure he's somewhat nervous to go back through his life and the, the transparency. I just pray, Lord, your mm. spirit would be upon him. That you'd yes. fill him, Father, that you'd give him your words, that uh, you'd calm his nerves, and Lord, that whatever would come out of his mouth today would be for your glory and your praise, what you have done. Not about us, Lord, it's about you. Mm. And Lord, that it may feed your flock. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm not sure everything I what to say, how far back I should go. But I told my wife last night, and by the way, we'll just stop right here. Um, on, the, on the way of announcement, there are some revival meetings going on over at Brownsville tonight by David Yoder. He's, uh, I remember him from years ago. My wife remembers him when he was there in 92 and uh, remind, re, um, remembers that they had a revival there. And uh, she... Um, made mention to him about that, and he remembers well that revival that happened there. And uh, I remember him, I think they were just traveling through back in um, mid-90s, and when we were still attending there, and part of the church there, and uh, I just remember um, just a godly man. <clears throat> I'm uh, not sure what I'll say this morning. I uh, told my wife last night as I was thinking about all this, Brother Jeremy asked me probably about a month ago if I would take part in this, and and uh, I was so glad. I was just so glad. Um, my uh, my duty was not, I was not on duty to share this last Sunday. I was not prepared, and I don't think I'm any more prepared today than I was last Sunday. So I would continue to cover your prayers and as I reflect, as I spent this last month many times reflecting on what happened in my life <clears throat> and how God changed me, you know, it's a testimony that nobody can take away from you. It's what happened to you. It's not my story. It's his story. And um, how God just poured in a magnitude of grace and mercy. So instead of a testimony, um, which I plan on giving to you, it's more of a, a message of the third message of grace, how God poured out himself upon me. And, uh, you know, it, I don't want to go, I don't want to say nothing that detracts from his name and, uh, and how, how I should come across. So I want to put a clarifier in there. We only got 45 minutes and I'm not sure that's enough, but I just want to put a clarifier in here. And if you don't understand, you get your hand up above your head. Because this is not about um, myself. It is not about um, inadequacies of where I came from. It is not about um, my parents not doing a good job. 
I was raised in a Christian home. It is not about them. It is not about uh, the teaching that I had, the church that I went to, the pastors that I had. It is about what God has done in my life. And I want to make that clear this morning because I do not want to come across like my parents or my church where I came from, my community. They did not do their job. I was teetotally responsible for the decisions I made and the, and the course that I took. And even though I, on this course, on this, on this um, course that I took that many times did not honor God. And you know, there's things that I'm going to share this morning that I have never shared in a public meeting. And I told my wife, I said, you know, there's things you're going to find out about my, me that I have never told you. Because I long for God as I reached back in my memory. And I thought about the things that I did that I'm very shameful of. And the thought process I had. I, can, I, just, I just like hanging on the side of the wagon. I cannot believe I actually thought that. The devil's lies that I bought into, that I signed up for. And, um, and how he had chains wrapped around me. And... Um, and until I met Christ. And I want to share that here this morning. I started out with a blank piece of paper. <clears throat> and this, I'm going to try to tell you in order of these events that happened. And, uh, and I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit. I wrote on the top of my paper, this is what I wrote. <clears throat> Do we have a water boy in this place? Thank you, Matthew. <clears throat> I wrote on the top of my paper, take my life and let it be yours. Glory to God. Holy Spirit, I'm yours. Use me, take me, even what, what you say through me for your glory and draw men to yourself. And I just pray that um, my heart is that if you are sitting here this morning and you are struggling, I understand. I've been there. And um, so I'm just going to let's quickly just roll on. <clears throat> You know, it's amazing to me, everything gets wet except your throat. <clears throat> so, um, I'm going to read some verses, but we're not going to do that now. I'm just going to bring you right up to, to where, where, um, where there was a, just a, a magnitude of grace that God poured into my life. So at the age of 17, like I say, I was raised in a Christian home, and I take full responsibility for the actions, again, for the actions that I had. I put many a gray hair on my mother's head. And I, just, because, just because I was raised in a Christian home in a Mennonite, pretty conservative Mennonite setting does not make me exempt for my responsibility. I was riding on a hell-bound train, and I was headed for eternity away from God. <clears throat> And, and, you know, again, I'm going to share some things that are embarrassing that I'm very ashamed of t to share with you. But you know what? It's who I am. It's what made me. And, you know, I am so thankful for a Heavenly Father that loved me, that drew me to Himself. <clears throat> so I w I'm just going to plow in here. Um, as a teenager, you know, I had a tough time in school. I was not a good scholar. I could not... I, I My my report card looked, looked very... Um, very attractive. It had, it was all over the place. It ranged from A's to E's, F's. And, um, you know, I, I hated school. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had the feeling growing up, I, I, I'm going to mount to no, nothing. I'm, I'm nobody. And, you know, who am I? And I still struggle with that time. Who really am I? 
you know, am I just sunk here in a, in a cesspool of self-pity? And instead of looking, lifting up my eyes, but at 17 years old, <clears throat> I made a decision to follow Christ. And, um, you know, it was, it was not at all what I expected. It was not who, who I thought. And, and I question if I really had a new birth at that point in time. And here's what happened. And I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed to tell you this. But there was this girl that I liked back there in my home community. And uh, we had some uh, kind of a relationship going on. And uh, back and forth a little bit. I was only 17. Only 17. And my sister Zabok couldn't have it. That I kind of liked this girl and praise God that that whole thing. Anyway, she wrote me a letter one time <clears throat> toward the, to end this relationship. She probably had more sense than I did. She she told me this, and I, I can't say it for word for word, but she wrote me this letter, and she said, we have to discontinue this relationship because you are not a Christian. And you know, that just rocked my wagon. And you know, today, she is far from shore. She walked away from God. And I cannot thank God enough for that. You know, to me, being a Christian was joining a church. I did not, there's lots of things that I did not understand. That is how, that's who I was. It was joining a church, wearing the right clothes, even though there's some restrictions that our church at that point in time had that I did not understand. That there's a lot of things I did not understand. You know, being part of this church, being part of, you know, following these rules and regulations, even there was many things that I did not understand. I resisted, I re, I rebelled against all that. And, and, um, so it was about, it was about putting on a, wearing the right clothes, putting on a, putting on a straight cut suit coat and so forth and playing the game, so to speak. And I played the game for years. And, uh, even though I, my heart was far from where it should have been. I'm in shame. I'm embarrassed to tell you this. But that's who I was. Because I didn't know. And it's not, and I am not blaming my parents at all. I remember us three boys, my brother Carl, my brother Jesse, we, we all slept in the same room. And I remember many a time, at the end of the day, as he crawled into bed, he grabbed his Bible and he read his Bible. And I was professing to be this Christian. And I wouldn't read my Bible. I'm like, it's just words to me. It didn't speak to me. It wasn't alive to me. And you know, early in the morning, his alarm clock went off early. He would get down on his knees and he would pray. I wouldn't do none of that stuff. I tried. It was just all this dogma going on and all this thing going on. But I, there was something within me that told me that I have to somehow have to squint. I have to fix this problem in my life. These vices, I had like bitterness. I had anger in my life. I re- I remember one time as a young boy, this anger, you know, I can identify with my younger son, with the anger that comes out and bursts of this anger. And I remember one time, me and my younger sister, we were playing in the yard, and I don't know why I did it. I just threw this stick and hit her right in here, punched a hole right through her ear, right here. And oh, she cried. I just felt so bad. I just like, my mother, she looked at me. She said, this is what anger does. I didn't mean to do that. We were playing a game and the, and the, and the, and the wagon wasn't rolling in my direction. You know, it was in her favor as we were playing, as we were playing this game. But I couldn't help it. It just came out. And, and it, it, it just like, I have to somehow fix this problem, this vice in my life. But I felt powerless to, to, to change this. 
And I thought, you know, is if I if I just join this church, if I just submit and surrender to these, this church, it is not the issue. It is not going to fix the problem. I needed Christ. I needed this anointing to fall down upon me. I needed... I didn't know what I needed. I needed a change. I needed a different direction. I need, I just cried out in my heart of hearts, in my, in my teenage, though only the way I could do. There was these teachers that I had that I was bitter against because I thought he was unreasonable with me. He wasn't. And my mother, she came to me and she saw me and said, you know, really, maybe you should go back and apply. It was a male teacher. She told me, he said, maybe you should go back to apology. There ain't no way. We just pulled the e-brake right there. I said, there is no way. You know, the deep, the cut went deep. It hurt. But when Christ came in, I, I met him at a, at a church function years later after we were married, and I went up to him and apologized to him. I held no, no animosity against him. There was just love for him. But you know what? As the time, as the wagon wheel of time rolled on, he was hurting also. And he was trying to figure out life. I went to Bible school. I thought, that's, I'm going to find my answer there. You know what happened? I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I, <laughs> I washed them windows so clean, they're probably still clean to this day. You know, I remember as I went to the Messiah Bible School, I had this principle. We had a mutual feeling. He didn't like me, and I didn't like him. I could not stand him. I felt like he had it in for me. But you know what? I take responsibility. It was not his problem. If I would have been who I should have been, it would have not have been a problem. I remember one time he had, you know, each principle does things different. You know, he, he um, at chapel time, he would read down through all the list of bad things that went on that day, the day before, the night. And I remember, and I'll never forget, to my shame, I remember the morning he read off six allegations of things that were wrong. And I was in it, and he, he put the people's name there. There were some girls there, but mostly guys, and my name was on every last item. I could have just sank in my chair. And here sat this school teacher. It was my last year of school that I have a high respect for. I wonder what she thought. I think she was deeply disappointed. I I had to wash the windows. Me and a bunch of guys, we had to wash these windows. It was good for me. The second year, the next year, I forget what year that was. I was thinking 18, 19 years old. The second year rolled around. And I went to, I decided I am not going to Bible school with that guy. So I went second term. They had a different they had a different principal. And I learned something from that principal I never forgot. I remember it was the first week, and we had a three-week term, 
a Bible school. And I remember it was in the first week. You're starting to learn to know people. And I normally took the top one. They had three bunks high, and I took the top one. I've, and, you know, I did not like, I'm kind of a private guy. So this is a very difficult assignment, Brother Jeremy. <laughs> and I did not want people putting their stuff on my bunk. I did not take the lower bunk because you know how people are. They prop their foot up on my bunk. I did not want their dirt on my bunk. So I took the top one. And I remember the first week at Bible school. This was with... Um, What was the principal's name? Don't really matter. The money, the candy started flying. And I'm like, oh, here we are ready. Second week. And I purposed, I put, I put, down, the, I put down the anchor, and I said, this is not going to happen. I am not going to, because just before I left, my bishop came, and he's a very kind-hearted man. He came to see me just, be, just before we left. And he talked about some things. And he brought up the previous year and my conduct. My horrible conduct. And uh, he talked about that. And he was questioning if he should let me go. to. He thought it was, if it was wise for me to go to Bible school. But I had purpose that I am going to be the good boy. I am not going to get involved. I am going to walk the other way. <clears throat> and here a piece of candy flies on my bed. I just took this candy. It plopped down on the covers. And the candy, the money was flying. And I took this piece of candy and I just shucked it off. I tossed it off. I didn't care where it landed. I wanted it on my bed. I just, pew. you know, looking back, I should have just put it on my headboard and been done with it. But I didn't. I just shucked it off. I thought, oh boy, Monday morning, or the next morning, I thought, okay, I am sure that this principal is going to, what's all the racket on going down there? All the boys are involved, you know, um, we need to talk about this. He didn't. The whole day went fast. The whole day went by. <clears throat> and uh, he, uh, he, didn't, he didn't say nothing. That night, the lights were out at 10 o'clock. And my bunk was, they had kind of a blinder there. And my bunk, I could see the shadow. I could see him standing there. And the lights of the dorm went out, and I could see him standing there. He goes, all right, boys. He said, whoever was involved last night's activity... I want you to come out in the hall. I thought, ah, this is the way this guy's going to roll. So I didn't have no other ch- choice. So I like, I threw one piece of candy, and uh, I'm going out there. <laughs> Boy, was I ever in for a shock. I was in for a culture shock. There was a whole herd of guys out there. And... Um, <coughs> This dear man of God, he just opened himself up. It was was a holy moment. He wept. He cried. Those young men cried. That night. He prayed with them. They all apologized. And I'm here to tell you 
the rest of the rest of that term, when that light went out, it was quiet. What a huge difference in his administration. But deep down inside, I knew that my heart still was not right. Even though I desperately wanted something that I didn't know how to get, I was still felt like I was, <clears throat> I still felt like I was still riding on this hellbound train. I didn't know how to get off. In my community, in my church community, I was the black sheep, and I didn't know how to change that. There was a lot of accusations that were against me, and I didn't know how to change it. I was so confused. I was vastly confused. I got pegged with issues that I did not feel were my problem. So I went on We Harvest, which I really enjoyed. And you know, people would come to me and say, you know, you're just going to drag your problems with you. And I am here to tell you they are 150% right. There is no lying. That, that is a true statement. And if you are here this morning, if you think you can run away from your problems, you will take your problems with you. And I told that one individual, he was against me going, and he, was, he, had a real, he had a real problem. I said, you know, I said, one reason I want to go is so I can divide who is whose problem. I cannot tell. I was so confused as this young 20-year-old man trying to figure out life, trying to figure out who I was. I went there. I did some. I did some things that I wished I wouldn't have done. I went back to the employer. I apologized to him for my involvement, and uh, <clears throat> and you know I and you know it it it, it taught me something. And this is what I t- what, this is what it taught me. You know I've always been told <clears throat> the devil he wants to take your little finger, and if he can somehow wrap his chain around your little finger, he'll soon have your whole hand. And you know, I was involved. I went to the movies one night, and I have no clue. And you know, I knew good and well. We all knew good and well. We do not belong there. And as I sat there, and I can't even tell you what the movie was about. I don't think it was anything. I, I don't really know. I sat there, and, and, and in my mind, this whole turmoil was going on. I do not belong in this place. Now, I put the old e-brake down. I said, never again. I, you know, this is how it works. You know, we just, you know, the, the enemy of our souls keeps chipping away and he wants to grind you down. He wants to make you, he wants you to make decisions and to, and to make choices and to grind you down to, and soon he'll have you. And I knew that this was not right. And I said, never again. I stayed home. They can go if they want. I am not going to get involved no more. I am going to put my energies and my thing my my being and to the people at the church there and to just enjoy their fellowship and to just be who I am supposed to be. But I still knew there was a link missing. I did not know how to get from A to B. I'm telling you folks, I did not know how. I, I, I opened up the Word of God and I tried to read and I tried to understand. I had sermon tapes. I was listening to them. I didn't understand. The light of Christ needed to shine and dark and lighten my darkened heart. I didn't understand all that. And so I was still confused. I was still like, God, who are you? Who are you? I sat in church ever since I was, I was born as a baby. I was drugged to church. I was taken to church. This is all I knew.
And so I decided I'm going to go on to a voluntary service. I spent a, I spent a whole year down in uh, southwest New Mexico underneath Christian printing missions. They didn't, it wasn't really a printing thing down there. And that's where I met my wife-to-be, which I didn't know it at that time. <clears throat> and yet I did because we got their stuff in the mail. And, and I was leafing through it one day. And I seen my wife in there. She was a young girl. And something in my heart of hearts said, that's your wife right there. And I said, that ain't happening. That ain't happening. I don't know her. She don't know me. That ain't happening. And unbeknownst to me, there was this pastor. I'm going to use, this, I'm going to use three people's names had a huge impact upon my life. And there was this pastor came down there once a month. He, had tw- he bought 12 tickets for each month of that year. His name was Paul Kurtz. He's dead. He's gone. He's moved on to his mansion in glory. Me and my wife, about two years ago, well, this fall, it'll be two years ago, we flew back for his funeral. And he will never know the impact he had. You know, he was an evangelist. He was a pastor. He was a bishop of a church. When I heard all these things, I just like, I built the walls. Like, I, I built these walls around me to protect me. Why? Because everything I knew, I just knew that if, if he's like everything else I've ever known, if I dress right, if I do all these things, and I am by no ma- ma- mean minimizing that what comes out on the outside is what's really on the heart. But I knew all that stuff. I knew that. I understood that. At least to a degree. And I knew that is not the deepest need of my heart. But as this pastor, as he reached out to me, as he tried to learn to know who I was and where I came from and, and my, and my feelings, he just talked to me one on one. He reached out to me. He just loved upon me. He just, it's just like I had never, ever had anything like this happen to me before. I didn't know how to handle it. And you know, there was something. I remember Brother Nathan Overhaul. He told me one time, years later, he told me, he said, Glenn, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, never forget this. He said, you find the key that fits the hole in people's hearts. And you will find out things that will shock you and just love on people. And you know, he was an example of that very thing. That I, as I watched his life, it didn't matter where people are. It didn't matter. He just loved upon people, and it just spoke loudly to me. This Pastor Paul, as he, as I traveled with him some, and he see, he just showed me the way of Christ. He talked about Jesus wherever he went. He just, it just came out of him. I'm like, God, that is who I want right there. That is who, just to be like him. And to, and to, why does this come out? I have never seen this before. This, this, this character of him coming out, just, it didn't matter over a cup of coffee. It didn't matter where he was. At the end of the conversation, he wanted to know, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you ready to meet your maker? And I knew deep within, I am not there. I, and even though I longed for it, I didn't know how to find that. I didn't know where to go with all that. I didn't know what to do with all that. I finished the year there, but I still didn't find what I was looking for. 
I spent a whole year down there, and I still didn't find what I was looking for. I knew there was something. As I, as I was on a search, as I was on a rule, and I remember, I remember my time was coming to a close, and God, where do I go now? Where do I do? What are, where do I go? What do you want me to do? Even though I had, I, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to navigate life. And, um, and, so, and so there's this man from southern Alberta by the name of Sammy Hofer. He called me out. And him and Paul Kurtz, they were good friends. And uh, Sammy Hofer, he called me up. He, he had this big job down in central Montana at Fort Collins, Montana. Uh, one of his cousins bought this big, huge fertilizer plant. And he needed some American people. He had, he had a crew of guys in Canada. And they could not come down because they didn't have the right paperwork. So he wondered, would you, would you be willing to, 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 to come and help me? He said, um, this job ought to close about the end of June, June sometime, and would you come? And I said, well, I said, I don't have a whole lot planned. I said, sure. I said, yeah, let me think about it and I'll get back with you. I called him up and little did I, <laughs> little did I know. <laughs> Here, this guy, you know, as, as I was moving through, as the wheel of time moved on, this guy was exactly, this, he was a much like this pastor I left out of New Mexico, unbeknownst to me. You know, this guy, it just came out of him. He, I remember he had some Hutterites working for him that were not born again, and, and we drove 150 miles, well, it wasn't about, it was probably at least 100 miles, maybe a little, not quite 150 miles, one way. From southern Alberta, we were past going through this Canadian customs all the time. And what's his one? And he had some people working for him that had dual citizenship. He could bring them. And I was the only full-blooded American there. And these border guys, they, they were just baffled. Why in the world is this full-blooded American boy with these dual citizenship, dual citizenship Canadian boys? And they would, and you would think every day we'd pass that. Five days a week we'd pass that border. And you think after a while they get this all figured out. <clears throat> well, anyway, the place I was staying, and the people that, the guy that hired us, hired him to do this job, he actually got a call one time and like, this story that we're being fed at the border is this true? And he said, yeah, it's true. This, yeah, it's all good. And so they left me through, and and then we get a new guy and. This fiasco all over again, you know, why is this guy with you guys and yada, yada, yada. And, uh, and here's this Sammy Hofer. He's a very zealous man for the, for the gospel. And just to, just to give you a little insight of who he was, he was, he was of a Hutterite descent and he loved passing out tracts and he had his pious license. He's like, well, we can, we can evangelize the whole town of, the whole town of Raymond. I'll just take my plane out and I'll just throw the tracks out the window. We'll just evangelize Raymond, Alberta. And uh, that, that didn't go very good. The authorities soon had him by the scruff of his neck and told him that you are littering. That is not the way we're going to do things. And I don't know, he, you got to know Sammy Hofer to hear him. And he, I was like, and so as we were as we were going back and forth, we had this Hutterite by the name of George Hofer. He was with us. And he was his of Hutterite, full-blooded Hutterite descent. And uh, he was not a born-again believer. And uh, Sammy, he would take this Bible. He had this little pocket Bible. And, uh, you know, he would read out of Psalms. I mean, I'm telling you, he would preach that guy. 
nonstop for an hour and a half south and for a nonstop for an hour and a half north. And I said, man, Sammy, this is getting way over the top for this little Mennonite boy. He said, by the way, do you want a pocket gospel book, Bible? He said, are you like the rest of the Mennonites that think you got it all figured out? No, I don't have it all figured out. I'll take one. And you know, I still have that Bible. He signed it. I still have that Bible to this day. And uh, I don't plan on getting rid of it. And, you know, it reminds me of him. And, you know, he taught me things. I could just see Christ, even though we would differ on some things. It did not matter what we did different on. But, you know, I just, what I saw, what really stood out to me was his zealousness for the gospel, to see people saved and to preach the gospel. And uh, I remember as we were nearing this thing, we had these huge steel beams. We had to take them all apart, these huge steel girders. And I remember they these this trucking company, was um, look look it was taking this building back up to southern Alberta as a backhaul, and there was this little short sawed off truck driver. And man, I'm telling you, folks, he had a valve mouth that didn't quit. And I'm just like, and Sammy, he would have me jump up there with him in these huge steel girders, lay down the stickers, and put these beams. They were tapered leg beams, and we had a run them opposite so the load be square. And I just hated working with this guy because he's so valve mouth. And uh, I told Sam, I said, and of course he was running a crane and, and I had to listen to all this trash talk <clears throat> and it bothered me. And so, and so uh, even though I was not who I was supposed to be, but anyway, one day Sammy, he decided he had enough. This is not going to happen no more. We, we are Christians around here and this truck driver, he was using some bad language and some language that is not appropriate. And uh, Sammy, he's a big boy. He jumped up on that trailer, step deck trailer. He jumped right up there. And this is just perfect Sammy right here. I did not see this. I would have paid money to see it. He jumped up on the trailer, put his arms around this little sawed-off short truck driver. He said, we are Christians who work here, and we do not use this kind of language, and I do not expect you to use it anymore here. I'm like, whoa, okay. And so that's just who he was. That's who he was. And, uh, you know... And then they had to, they had a huge ammonia. They made anhydrous ammonia. Some of you people don't really know who that one is. But anyway, they had this huge tank there. And this man, he was also a godly man out of Louisiana. He had a crew of, crew of, uh, roughnecks, redneck from Louisiana. And he said, I'm telling you, and he, it did not take Sammy very long at all to figure out that this man loved Jesus. And, uh, this man said, I'm going to tell you something. I brought a, I forget how many thousands of tracks with him, and he was going to pass out in Great Falls. And here I found myself in the midst of these men. They were not from Mennonite descent. They were, they were just men. And I'm just saying, they have something that I do not possess. They have something. He said, I'm telling you, he said, these crew, the people that I brought with me, they do not know Christ. He said, but I'll guarantee you, when they are done with me, they will know who Jesus is, and they will have to make a decision. I was just shattered. I, I had to hang on the side of the wagon. I could not believe my ears. And this man, he was zealous about the things of God. He just loved the Lord. He said, you know, he said, I would love to go with you to, 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 to your area in South Alberta, Southern Alberta over the weekend. But he said, I can't. He said, I am paying for my sin. I have tried to cross the border in Ontario somewhere, stone drunk. And the Canadian government said, no more. You are banished from the... Canadian tribe. Done. He said, I cannot go with you. And so he said, can you bring me a souvenir from Canada? And so Sammy said, sure, I'll bring with you. 
And I remember they had their own fire suppressant, suppressant, um, um, suppressant, uh, you know, this huge water cistern that if there was ever a fire there, they could, they could quickly, uh, suck from this cistern until the fire, tr- I mean, this is out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, they brought in a crew to take this thing apart. And Sammy, Sammy, he goes over there and he starts preaching to this guy. And I'm sitting like, Sammy, this guy does not want to hear your, what you have to say. This guy is a hardcore sinner. He don't want to hear what you say. But you know, my friend Sammy, that did not bother him. He just kept right on plowing. He kept right on preaching. And I'm like, what is within that guy that makes him different? I need that. Guess what? That night, after that man told Sammy where he needs to go, guess what? That guy, that very guy, ended up in the Great Falls Hospital. Who did he call? Anybody want to guess? Who did he call? Sammy. Why? Because he knew he had something that he didn't have. He knew he had something he didn't have. You know, time after time, he would be in break time. Sammy, he would sit in the, he would, he would sit, he would, he would sit in that break room and he would get out his guitar and he would just start singing. And, you know, and then when break was over, he'd put it in a corner. And then the, 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 the guy that sat in the guard shack was supposed to be the safety overseer, you know, and he would sing this song. He didn't know Christ either. He would, he would have a way, he would have a talent to put this guy's, I don't even know what this guy's name was, put his name in a song that he needs to learn who Jesus is. But it's a gift he had. And I was just, I was just staggered at the gift that this man had and how he could present the gospel. It was a, it, he, it was nothing polished. It was just like full bore ahead. And I was sitting there, I have got to know who this Christ is. Even though I have been taught from little on up who this Jesus is. And I'm here to tell you, that was a turning point in my life. Last Sunday, we heard about turning points. And I remember, it was at lunchtime, and lunchtime they usually took about an hour. There's a lot of details that I don't remember. But I just had to know. And I, I talked to Sammy, I said... You know, I was raised in a Christian setting. I was raised in a in a, a church all my life. I, I knew all these things. There was nothing. I heard all these things before. But what what possessed those men? First of all, was this pastor, Paul Curse, And now this Sammy. What am I going to do with these guys? I don't have what they have. I need what they have. And I was just like, if only, if only I could get a hold of what they have. But I didn't know how. I didn't know how. You see, I wasn't surrendered. And this, this project was coming to a close. But I had to know how. I, need, I needed something that they had. You know what I did? You know what I did? There was this massive electrical room. There was tremendous power coming into this electrical room, like big, fat wires. I have no clue how much power was coming to that electric room. At a break time, at a lunch time, one day, one day, I knelt down in that electrical room. There was walls that just lined with these boxes. And I knelt down. And I told Jesus all about it. 
I don't have no clue how long I was there. But I knew that I needed something. And that was a turning point in my life. I got off. I took the exit ramp. I got off that hellbound train. I was no longer on that hellbound train. I was that read where it talks about in Matthew 12, verse 20. I'll read it to you. And I've had, I've had this verse underlined in my Bible for many years. A bruised reed, he shall not break. A smoking flash shall not be quenched. That was me right there. Right there. I read the verse, you must be born again. I was born again that day. I felt where I met Christ. I was that bruised reed that was bent over. I was just a smoking flax. I didn't know where to go. Sin was reconciled to me, to a loving father. He gave me hope. He gave me purpose in life. Even though there was much I had to understand, I didn't know. But I knew that I am in the hands of a, hands of a heavenly father. And there's much that I had to, do, to go back and fix and repent of. There was family members. I had to go back and apologize to the way I treated them. And things I did to them. There was money that I stole from my brother's bank, bank, his little piggy bank. I had to go back and make it right. I had to go back. And some of these things happened after I was married. I remember standing on the steps of the Fairview Mennonite Church down in the basement. 25 years old, fixing to walk up there. There's this herd of people coming through this church to watch me and my wife get, my girlfriend at that my get married. And I'm sitting there. How am I in the world am I going to guide this girl that she's going to be my bride within an hour? The Bible says if you could take wings and fly like an eagle, I would have flew. I didn't know. I didn't understand. I had so many much baggage. I, and there's things in my past that were still there. I didn't know how to fix. And I remember, I think it was the first year of marriage, she... She continued, she took, we didn't have no children for five years, so she, I, she just continued to work for her previous owner, and uh, she went on the combine. I was working down at a truck shop. I took night shift, and it all worked out. She got home. I got home about the same time. And I was just feeling desperate, like God was laying his finger on my life and saying, you know, you have these things. You have these things in your life. You have to go back to your parents and make right. God, there ain't no way. There is no way I am going back. This has settled long ago. And you know, God would not let me go. I'm like, okay, God. You know, our, our tendency is we want to save our reputation. You know, our reputation isn't mine. It's God's. I said, okay, God. I will do that. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to go about it. And one time, God, he gave, God, God gave me the answer. You know what you need to do? You need to write a letter of apology to your parents. Because I knew if I called them, I would only cover a tip of the iceberg. So I start on a full piece of paper. I started writing to my parents all my sins and grievances and things that I held Dear to my heart, I had this wall built and I started writing all the things that I'd done behind their back, things that I knew that they would not approve of, things that were places where I go. And I just started writing as as God poured grace into my life. I just wrote line after line after line. I wouldn't quit. 
When I got done, I just laid it on my desk. I just laid it right there. Because I knew there was one more thing that needed to go on that piece of paper. And I could not put it on there. Day after day went past. I could not get that piece. I could not put that thing on my on that piece of paper. What are they going to think if I told them something that happened to me that I could not confess to them? What was I going to do? What was I going to do? Praise God. He held me back from mailing that letter. Day after day, I struggled over that. I lamented. Why in the world did I get involved? My sin. My wife prayed. We prayed. But I knew there was one door. And I knew if I sent that letter to my folks without adding that, I knew with full assurance, I knew 110%, the hound dogs of heaven would never let me go. I knew that. That letter sat on my desk. It was a piece of paper, full piece of paper, clear full of a lot of dark things that I did. And I am here to tell you, young people, do not get involved. Bless your parents for shielding you from all this wickedness. You know, I looked okay on the outside, but they had no clue what was going on behind the scenes. Do not get involved. Satan loves darkness. And if he can put chains around you, he will guarantee you. And the tighter, the more you occupy those things... (laughs) The more you believe in his lies, he will just wrap one more chain and pull it tighter. And one day, I sat down at my desk. I got home before my wife did. And I started writing. And I can only believe that God sent his angels to protect me. And I started writing. I started line after line. I started confessing more sins, these issues I could not bring. And I just like, and when I got done, I read it. I couldn't believe what I did. I wrote it. I put a stamp on it, addressed to my parents, and sent it. And I just decided, I am just going to hang on God, and I am going to trust you. I got a letter back. I got a letter back. My dad... He suffers from dementia today in a pretty serious way. But he was always a man of very few words. He didn't say much. (laughs) Growing up, my mother felt like she had to sometimes speak up to keep the train on the track when my dad should have. When my mom and her turbochargers got revving, my dad would step in. It shouldn't have been that way, but it's the way it was. And I'll never forget. I still, I think I still have that letter. 
This is what my dad said. He said, now I believe God can use you. God can use you. Move it on. It's 12 o'clock. I'm not even done. Not even close. I, uh, as young married, like I said, we didn't have no children for five years or thereabouts. In the youth group that we were with, the young people, we would go sit over at Harold Miller's. And there's a lot of people there, a lot of young people, a lot of young marrieds. We'd sit there. And we'd grind on our axes the choices that we made and these churches that we came from. And we were just a bunch of disgruntled. And I would sit there and I would cast in the same teeth. I still had lots to learn. <clears throat> and we would go there Sunday nights. Church started at 6 o'clock. So we'd go over there and we'd party down there. House was full. And again, I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. And I would, <clears throat> we would talk about our formal church life. And as God was awakening in my heart, I remember going home one night, crawled into bed late at night. I told my wife, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. This is not good. And that evening, I did not cast in the same teeth, neither was I grinding on that axe. I just sat and listened. And God was awakening my spirit in a way that He never did before. And I'm like, this is just dead wrong. And I sat there. I said, you know what? I am looking, and this is what went through my mind. I am looking for something different. You have to show me something different. I want no more part in this. I'm done. That's what I said in my heart of hearts. I told my wife, I said, we go back to that place. I said, I, and when, that's, when, that, when they start them old grinders back up, when they start chewing all that stuff again, I am going to speak up. I'm done. And I purposed by God's grace, I was going to speak up. Guess what? We never got invited back to this day. I don't know why. It really don't matter to me. But I was not interested anymore. I was on a hot pursuit after God and learn who God is and learn who in the way of Jesus. You know, and I, there's many people in our society today, <clears throat> they are nothing more than egomaniacs, swaggering, dancing, believing they are, they are too good to be damned to hell. And I wanted off that hellbound train. I was off that train. But there was a lot of things that I still had to learn. It's not about the amount of sin, but it's the fact of sin that condemns us. When I met Jesus, the dominion of sin and death breaks and binds it, enslaves us and snuffs out peace, our hope, our joy, our love. Sin and Satan, as we become in Christ, as we become this new creature in Christ, Sin and Satan no longer have dominion over these, over us. That we choose to place our trust in, in His finished work there on Calvary. 
For the cross triumphed and His work is finished. In John 19, verse 30, it says three words that I have parroted for many times. It has three words that Jesus said. He said, on hanging on the cross for my sin, He said, it is finished. And there is nothing that I can do to change that. There is nothing that I can do to add to that. It is finished. The work. And the Bible also says, putting in my translation, it says, He was wounded for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised for our peace and was upon Him. For by His stripes we are healed. And while it is still day, dear people, this morning... God's grace is convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment so that all will look, they will live. It reminds me of the story when, this, when, when the children of Israel, when the children of Israel sinned and speaking out against Moses, God sent serpents there. And Moses, God told Moses, he said, set up a brass serpent. And those who, those who look at that serpent, what was going to happen to them? They will live. And those who did not look at that serpent died. I wonder, I wonder how many people refused to look at the serpent that day. And they died. And I challenge you this morning to look at the cross of Christ this morning. I tell my wife time after time again, the answer is at the bottom of the cross. It is not me. It is not in... You know, as young marrieds, we were trying to find our way through life. We would go to these seminars and we would run here. And this guy, oh, you need to go talk to that We ended up in Montana talking to these people. I'm like, whoa, this is not, this is, I'm not saying that they don't have some good input. I'm not saying that they don't. But I knew that this answer is not in what I'm looking for. It is down at the bottom of the cross, learning to, learning to be who I, learning to be who Christ wants me to be. You know, the story of Moses in a burning bush kind of intrigues me a little bit. Why did Moses look at that bush? He said, that's interesting. As Moses got close to the burning bush, God spoke out of the bush. What did he say? He said, take your shoes off for you are on holy ground. You know, That would attract you too. If you would have been out in eastern Oregon and all of a sudden you've seen this flame coming out of this bush, well, good grief, why isn't it consumed? Have you ever tried to burn your own bush? You'll burn it in 24 hours, guarantee you. You know, many people try to live for Christ by their own fuel and it don't work. It don't work. And to be free of this bitterness, this anger, all these things, these besetting sins, past, forgotten, You know, I can only think that Moses, as he looked at that bush, God told him, I'm just, I'm just paralyzing here a little bit. God told, God told him, but Moses, he said, you know, see that bush over there? I can do the same thing with that bush. I can live. It's not, it's God in the bush. So it's God in you that changes you and makes you alive. In, in Galatians 2.20, it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, not I, but Christ liveth in me it is high time to close but i have a i have a poem here that i have i have thought about many times just close your bible and um i'm done i want to read this poem to you and i am here to tell you if you're on a hellbound train today get right with god get do not exit this place without getting right with god if you have if you have all these things in your heart that you know are not from god and you are resenting God and what He has for you, 
I can guarantee you, if you go to the cross, you will find peace there. And I would encourage you, if you never had a new birth experience, I would encourage you to to, uh, find it today. It just reminds me, not long ago, um, there was a terrible accident down here at the Pioneer Villa truck stop. And, uh, you know, these chip trucks, these log trucks, they go hammer down to wherever they're going. And I did not see, I did not witness this. I did not see it happen. But this happened within the last few years. Some guy, I don't know what happened, but he was very, very angry at what happened. I don't know what happened at the fuel pump. He pulled out of the Pioneer Villa, hammered down, just angry. So angry, he didn't say, and here comes this truck, boom, into eternity, just like that. And I had to think, to face God Almighty in a condition like that. I am challenging you to get off this hellbound train if you are there. And this man had a vice in his life, this poem. I love this poem. It's quite lengthy, but I'm going to read it to you. <clears throat> the hellbound train. Tom Gray lay down on the, on the barroom floor, having drunk so much he could drink no more. So he fell asleep with a troubled brain to dream that he railed, read, rode on a hell-bound train. The engine with blood was red and damp and brilliantly lit by the brimstone lamp. While the imp for fuel was shoveling bones, the furnace rang with a thousand groans. The devil himself was the engineer. The boiler was filled with langer beer. The passengers, such a motley crew, church member, atheist, Jew and Gentile, rich men in broadcloth and beggars in rags, handsome young ladies and withered old hags, yellow, red men, brown, black and white, all chained together. What a horrible sight. As the, cha- as the train dashed on at an awful pace, Hot winds scorched them, their hands and face, wilder and wilder the country grew. As faster and faster the engine, louder and louder the thunder crashed. As brighter and brighter the lightning crashed, hotter and hotter the fire became, till all clothes were burnt from each quivering frame. And there, in the distance, there was such a yell, Ha, ha, croaked the devil, we are nearing hell. Oh, then how the passengers shrieked with pain and begged of the devil to stop the train. As he, but he campered about and danced with glee and he laughed and he joked at their agony. Why, my faithful friends, have you done this, done my work? The devil could never repay, would never pay sure, paid a shirk. Why, you bullied the weak, you robbed the poor, a starving brother you've turned from your door. You laid up gold where canker rust and given free vent to fleshly lusts. Just as you've scorned and corruption you've sown, while you trampled the laws of nature down, you're drunken and rioted, murdered and lied, and mocked God in your hell-born pride. You paid full pay, you, sorry, you have paid full fare, so I'll carry you through. For it's only right you should go get your just due. Why the labor always expects is higher. So I'll land you safe in a lake of fire where your bones shall rust in a flame of roar 
and my imps torment you more and more. Then Tom awoke in an agonizing cry, his clothes soaked with sweat, his hair standing high. He prayed as he never prayed before to be saved from the drink and the devil's power. And you know, that speaks to me. You know, as we are grasping Satan's power, I wanted to be free. I wanted to, there's so much more I could say, but I'm just going to quit with there. So this morning, are you the broken down reed? Are you the smoking flax that Christ wants to pour himself into? That wants to set you back on your feet? You know, this is just a message of grace. I, it's so hard for me to, to, to explain the God's grace as He poured into my life. I just feel like I was basking underneath the Niagara Falls as God just poured this grace into my life and changed me, changed my being, changed who I was, changed my thought process, and God wants to do it for you as well. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you for your indwelling spirit. And God, I just thank you for the, for the message this morning on grace and how you changed my life. And God, it is something, it's a God thing. It is God who you talk to your people. It is, you know, God, I am, as I continue to live my life, let it be you that lives in me, not not myself, Lord. Even though many times my flesh rises to the top, God, I just pray this morning that you would just continue to pour grace in my life. And God, as I share this, I open up old wounds that that have healed and I have long forgotten about. God, This is good for me, Lord. This is good for me. Lord, this is a very difficult task. I never dreamt in my wildest dreams the struggle that went on. Lord, until the wee hours this morning that I struggled, should I share? What should I share? How much should I share? And God, it's like, okay, Lord, I am under your arrest. I will share everything you show me. I am not going to pack around a book of notes, Lord, but I will just share from the heart, Lord. And I thank you for the power and these men who I've called to pray. Thank you for answering prayer this morning. And thank you, God. If it helps someone and puts them back on their fleet, maybe, Lord, there's somebody here that's just a smoking flax. They're bent over. God, I just pray that you would pour grace into their life today. And that they they would experience your mighty power in their lives. And Lord, as they bask in the warmth of your sunshine today, Lord, that they would turn a new leaf. Lord, it don't have to be an electrical room. But God, that is where you met me. And I just pray, Lord, if there is some soul here that needs to be saved, I pray, Lord, they would not leave this building without becoming born again, Lord. There is no way. There is no way. It's worth the, worth going out there and living for the devil, Lord, and burning hell forevermore with the devil and his angels, Lord. It's not worth it, Lord. Oh, that we would have a sight of the cross of Christ. And that Jesus would become real. And that it would just consume our thoughts. And God, thank you for pursuing me, Lord. And changing me. And putting me back on my feet, Lord. And that the cross of Christ. And his glory. Lord, I don't know how to pray but I just trust you. We love you, Lord. And we ask that you would just continue to change us from glory to glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.